Coming up on Good God, sports broadcasting legend and voice of the Cowboys, Brad Sham, will be talking about how his awakening to his Jewish faith changed his perspective on life and work. Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. I'm George Mason, your host, and I'm pleased to have my good friend, Brad Sham, here with us today. Brad, welcome to George, Good God. George, thank you. Honor to be with you, honor. Well, it's 40 years this year, Brad, that you will have been the voice of the Dallas Cowboys, and that is um, more than a career for most people uh, to ever dream of. Uh, but my goodness, it's, uh, it's a legacy, and uh, it's hard to think about the Cowboys and not to have experiences listening to you call those games, and that's part of the fun of it for you, isn't it? It's actually not. Come on. Uh, it's, not, it's actually not. All right. And it's interesting to me that you use the word legacy, uh -huh. um, because clearly it is. Um, I am thoroughly gratified yeah. by the knowledge that what you just said is correct for for now a couple of generations of right. cowboy fans they don't uh, know how to compute uh, here in the game without my voice being part of it I, I i understand that that's a fact and i appreciate it and i'm grateful it's not what drives me ah right what drives me is very selfish i'm i just love doing it right the word legacy is so interesting um we we uh we, there were a group of us at a leadership meeting at Temple Emanuel just recently uh, having a conversation about that word and what it means. And um, I tried to keep my mouth shut for a change and just listen and everyone talked about what they wanted their legacy to be, what legacy meant. and um, I'm uncomfortable with the word in the context of the question, what do you want your legacy to be? Oh. That's slightly different right. than what you said about this is a legacy. I yeah. mean, I'd be, I'd be, well, I don't I'd think be an idiot. We're not in charge of our legacy. Uh, that's something that other people will make a judgment about. Correct. Right? And so the, the point is, I think if I'm hearing you correctly, you do what you feel like is right. You, you, you do the whole what point. you love. It's the whole point. And if you're good at it and if it matters to people, then people will say, this is a legacy. This is this yeah, I, yeah. I For me, I think, the, um, I think that the notion of doing something because you want to create a legacy, right. this is what you want your legacy to be. Mm, that's a fragile the, It's yeah. a slippery slope. Yeah. Because the idea is, as I understand it, to do the right thing, to live a godly life, to um, try to emulate holiness as best you can, not for the reward which will come if you live that kind of life. Right. But right. if you set out to live that kind of life for that reason, and I speak only for myself, it creates a slippery slope mm -hmm. down which lies the road of pure selfishness. Yeah. I'm going to do this 
because people will say good things about me if I do it. That's not the reason to do it. Right. We, 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 we do it to, now I'm talking about things much grander than right. broadcasting well, football games, but well, I think but that's we, what good God is about. It's about this connection between faith and yes, sure. there you go. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so w where I think we're going with this is, is humility is at the root of any genuine spiritual life. And it, it can't, humility has to be practiced. It can't be something that uh, right. you, know, you do in isolation. We're not born with it. That's right. So uh, this is something, though, that you have been learning, uh, something that has become uh, through your own spiritual discipline. Quite intentionally. Uh, when, everyone's, when someone says to me, you're humble. <laughs> I, and I always say, I have a great deal to be humble about. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that, that there's a lot of my life that I did not live in humility. I, was, I wasn't aware of humility. Right. And I think that one, once we become aware of the importance of it, um, it informs the way we behave in every interaction. So this, is, this goes, though, to a spiritual awakening that has happened for you in the last years that has really taken you deeper into your faith, the Jewish faith tradition. Uh, talk about what the key moment was for you. How, how did that awakening happen for you? The ending of a 23-year marriage. Okay. Um, and anyone who's ever been in any kind of relationship mm -hmm. uh, understands that both people's behavior and attitudes impact the relationship. Mm -hmm. And that said, um, I became and remain uh, thoroughly convinced that 80% of the um, fault for the eventual dissolution of that marriage was my fault. And when it ended, I said to myself quite literally, you got to change everything. This, mm -hmm. the, you're, this is not how you set out. Right. This, it's not going good. Didn't feel good about myself. Didn't mm -hmm. like the, the way I was living my life and said, okay, what are you going to change? Right. And the answer came, I, I always have to tell people, I'm not, I don't mean to say that I heard voices, because mm -hmm. I, I don't hear voices. But the answer to that question, what are you going to do to change your life, mm -hmm. came immediately in very clear words in my head, in my voice. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't me. Mm -hmm. And the answer was, well, you've kind of neglected your spiritual side. Yeah. Not religious. Right. Yes. Yes, I have. Okay, what shall we do about that? And the first thing I did about that was call um, our mutual friend, David Stern, my rabbi, and, and I did not understand at the time the impact of the fact that he gave me an hour. Mm -hmm. <laughs> David Stern doesn't have an hour. <laughs> His wife and children would tell you that yeah, he does. They true. don't get an hour. <laughs> right, right. And and it was really, it was really many, many, many months later that it dawned on me that that I got an amazing gift right. just there. And the takeaway, the biggest takeaway from that conversation I had was David saying, "I believe that God is most interested in results." Mm -hmm. Okay. So I then started changing 
my regular spiritual observance and behavior. I was a very typical American secular Jew, went twice a year, uh, and I, I understand that this is not limited to modern American Judaism, but... Right, well, no. This is, I think everybody is going to be interested to learn more if they aren't aware of, of modern Judaism. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I mean, I think that there, I think that Christians who you know go on uh, on Christmas Easter and Easter, Christmas, same thing. They, same it's, thing. it's exactly the yeah, same thing. Yeah. And then they profess to be good Christians, and they may practice their lives, generally speaking, in right. a good Christian way, mm -hmm. most of the time mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. some areas, but without any particular awareness. Right. And and um, as I've learned from you. Uh, just going to church on Sunday doesn't right. get you all the way there. Right. So for me, but that's where I was. Yeah. So I said, okay, what are we going to do now? Okay, let's go to a Friday night service. Mm -hmm. Shabbos begins Friday night. Let's go to a service. Went to Temple Emanuel where I'd been a member for over 25 years at that point. Went by myself. Um, sat in um, that big cavernous sanctuary in the back, of course, mm -hmm. as, mm -hmm. as, uh, as you have pointed out, uh, no one ever wants to sit in the front pew. That's so right. We're all the way in the back. It's so funny to me now that there's people come in and do exactly what I did, which is seem to try to find some kind of a safety zone. Let's, right. We're here, let's not get too close. Right. Right. And uh, so I went in, I sat down and what I immediately felt was warmth. Mm. I felt uh, a home. Mm. I felt welcomed. And that's without any conversation with mm -hmm. anyone. This was just the service mm -hmm. unfolding. I thought, okay, well, this is better. Mm -hmm. And so I did that for a while. And then I incrementally added. Um, mm -hmm. The one other thing I did was... Um, uh, talked to the woman who ran what was then a committee called Caring Congregation. It's mm -hmm. changed a little bit in nomenclature since, but I went to her and I said, I need to do something mm -hmm. that has nothing to do with me, uh -huh. something outside of myself. Mm -hmm. What do you got? Right. And she said, I think I want you to make hospital visits. Wow. Really? So I started visiting our congregants uh, who were at a particular hospital on, on proscribed days. And I'll, how are we doing on time? We're running yeah, out. But I'm, I'm going to tell you the story that was a reminder to me of why I was doing this. I went, you, you don't get really any uh, training information. Yeah, it's, uh, guidance, not yeah. training. Okay. Get some guidance. But HIPAA laws, they can't tell you what you're walking sure. into. That's right. And I walked into a, uh, I walked into an ICU, where a woman who appeared to be somewhat elderly was hooked up to all kinds of stuff. She had family, but they weren't there at the moment. I'd never met her. She didn't know me. And I walked in, and uh, she was she was able to conduct a conversation. I just identified myself. I'm here from Caring Congregation at Temple Emmanuel. I just want you to know that your Temple family is thinking about you. We're praying for you and hope you get better. That was it. I wasn't there three minutes. Several months later, 
I was at a Friday night service. Service was over. I was looking at some of the paintings on our wall, and I got a tap on the shoulder. I turned around, this lady standing there, nice-looking lady, and uh, she said, you don't know me, do you? And I said, I, I'm, I'm afraid you have the advantage. She said, you visited me in the hospital, mm -hmm. and um, you're my angel. Oh. And needless to say, my blood ran cold. And she gave me a big hug. That was probably six, seven, that was probably 11 years ago. Mm -hmm. And now every time I see her, we exchange a big hug. And that wasn't me. Right. I was guided into that place Which, and reminded of what the impact of th that simple act yes. can have. Well, how does God work in the world and in our lives, if not through our being available and doing the things right. that we are taught matter? Uh, doing justice, loving kindness and mercy, walking humbly with God. Yeah. And we become angels, we become uh, messengers, which is what angel means. Right, right, right. The thing Agents is, we, we are taught that in the sense that, I can tell you now, that's in Micah. Very good. Um, <laughs> and I may have been exposed to it as a kid. Right. And, and you know very well that you can preach a particular chapter and verse and tie it as you do so expertly into a message. And still, someone has to be open, aware, uh -huh. paying attention. Indeed. That's why I go into the synagogue on Friday night and Saturday morning, which is my practice now. Yes. Going to church on Sunday yeah. is an empty act right. for show if we are not aware of why we're there and try to live what we're exposed to there the rest of our lives. All right. So. Uh, we're going to take it after the break. I'd like to uh, come back and talk a little more about uh, your involvement in Temple, including Yom Kippur. Okay. All right. New Friends, New Life restores and empowers formerly trafficked girls and sexually exploited women and children by providing access to education, job training, interim financial assistance, mental health, and spiritual support. Find out how you can help by visiting newfriendsnewlife.org. We're back with Brad Sham. And Brad, you were talking about what has become a regular practice for you now in your spiritual life is religious observance. And that is, you know, uh, we talk about inner spiritual practices, but when you get involved in the regularity of uh, temple events and worship and service and that sort of thing, those religious rituals have also a way of then coming back and shaping your life and feeding sure. you. And one of them that has been your privilege in the last few mm -hmm. years uh, is that uh, you were able to take over for Rabbi Klein when he, uh, when he, was, uh, when he died. Yeah. Uh, for, I don't think I took over for him. But. Well, you, you succeeded him, let's put it that way, yeah. uh, in this uh, uh, Yom Kippur service that is um, a, a beautiful event. And featured in the Yom Kippur uh, service is the Book of Jonah being recited. And this is something that you have done for several years now. And you know, the, the connection between the Day of Atonement and the Book of Jonah, talk a little bit about that first of all. Well, so the, the um, 
the reading of the book of Jonah comes toward the end of the entire Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur begins as Sabbath does on uh, nightfall mm -hmm. of the, the eve, eve of uh, with the service that's uh, marked by the first words in it, kol nidre, all our, all our entreaties, and um, runs through sundown the next day. And there is a major memorial service for, for many of us growing up, um, strongly identifying as Jewish but not particularly observant. Uh, the Yisker is the memorial service that we say for all people in our lives who have passed. Right. Um, no matter how long ago it happened. So it's a big deal. And it's one of the things that has traditionally in American Jewry, I would say reform and conservative, drawn people to the synagogue. And they may or may not be there in the morning on Yom Kippur, but everyone's there for Yisker. When I was a kid, you had to leave if you were not in mourning. Uh -huh. You were, and, that, and that, that's in many mm -hmm. cities across the country. The way Temple Emmanuel and modern reform Judaism practice it. Uh, it. It's an inclusive celebratory service in which we remember the lives of our loved ones who have passed, but we celebrate all of them. And my favorite part of the Yom Kippur service is the afternoon service after there's been time for study and reflection and organized prayer, formal prayer, and you've, you're probably fasting. And so the book of Jonah is read at the end of that now in in um, Orthodox communities and many conservative communities, it's read in Hebrew. I'm a Reformed Jew by choice. <laughs> and so, um, so Rabbi Gerald Klein, as you indicated, was the, he had the responsibility of reading Jonah. And even after he retired yeah. and became Rabbi Emeritus, right. That was his baby. Right. He he collected whales. Oh he, yes. He had mm -hmm. and the I'm right. not sure that we still don't exhibit some of his whale collection. Right. Right. Throughout the high holidays, and he was he was as dry as the desert. Yes. But he so clearly loved telling that story. Right. And and I remember many years where he would get up and say, well. I had a letter from Jonah, and he would read some parable that he had made up and tied it, and then he'd read the story. It's the same story every year, it doesn't change. Right. He passed away in uh, 2008, I think, in the spring. I remember as clear as day, it's May. I've got no reason to be thinking about the high holidays. I was sitting at Valley Ranch doing some work during a mini camp, and and the thought came to me, I wonder what poor so-and-so they're going to get. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I want, there's no reason for me to be thinking about that. Yes, right. Except I didn't say so-and-so. Yeah. I, I wonder what poor so-and-so they're going to get to do that. Within two hours, David Stern is on the phone to me and he said, well, we've, had a, we've been discussing this and we'd like to invite you to read Jonah. Wow. And I said, I... <laughs> And I was so nervous the first time because it was it was Rabbi Klein's gig right, right. that it was almost more identified with him and how beloved a figure he was in our community right. as was any part of the story. 
And I was so nervous when I finished, I turned around and walked off the bima. I didn't shake hands with anybody. I didn't acknowledge any clergy. I didn't look at, I just got the heck out of there. <laughs> and um, yeah. and then they, they've, it's their fault. They've continued to invite me back, so. Well, not only have they invited you back, but this, is, this goes to something of the, um, uh, the, the commitment that you have to this is, I think, the, sto the story of the Cowboys game yeah. and uh, Yom Kippur and your reading of Jonah was, uh, was one that um, was, was kind of a chariots of fire moment in a way, wasn't it? It, it was, and yet much like in 2015 when uh, for the first time in what was then 37 years of broadcasting Cowboy games, mm. I had a direct conflict between the High Holidays mm -hmm. and a game. I'd never, I've many times ha, have gone to services in a different city. Right. We'll do that this year on Rosh Hashanah. Mm -hmm. uh, but there'd never been a conflict. Well, the Cowboys, Rosh Hashanah started on a Sunday night. Cowboys and the Giants are playing on Sunday night. I remember thinking the NFL in New York, there's more Jews in New York <laughs> than anywhere else. And you're going to put the Giants on? Right, I, right. Uh, so the first thing, George, that I have done for as long as I can remember it, when the schedule comes out, is compare it to the high holidays. Right. And so this time, uh-oh, so I didn't do the game. And in, and in much the same way, mm -hmm. when they asked me the second year to do that, I said, you know, that's, thank you, I'm touched. Uh, Yom Kippur ends on Monday evening. Mm -hmm. The Cowboys are playing a Monday night home game. Right. I think you better get somebody else because I don't think I can do that. It usually happens somewhere around five o'clock. Mm. I don't think I can do that and get there. Mm -hmm. Well, and and I loved, I absolutely loved the fact that the woman whose job it was to invite me uh, was not a sports fan, and she did not. I said I have to go to work. I don't think she said. Well, what do you do? Uh, that's great. And I loved that, and yeah. I said, well, I, I'm kind of involved with the football team. And, uh, another of our rabbis, Debbie Robbins, and her husband, and uh, our Larry. now her husband Larry, and um, and my friend Scott McCartney, who sure. was president of the congregation for a while, right. and his wife were going to a Ranger game, uh -huh. and they were walking to the park, and Debbie said, "I wish we had a way." I had looked into the radio station, maybe having a helicopter. Mm -hmm. That could take me, but we didn't have a helicopter anymore, and uh -huh. that's kind of not how traffic is done. And so Debbie said, uh, "I wish we could find a way to get Brad to the game." And Scott McCartney, who who is a fabulous aviation writer for the Wall Street Journal and has right. been a pilot for many years, so well, I got a plane. Yeah. So the thought of can I do it up until that point never occurred to me. It. I can't do it because I have to be at work. Right. But but I can go to work because Yom Kippur will be over. Yes. Well, now all of a sudden, I could maybe do both, and mm. uh, it was really it was an interesting lesson in awareness for me, because I'm watching the class. So the agreement was he's got a little fixed wing two seat plane that he flies out of. A hangar near Love Field. Right. So I'm going to finish and go meet him. He's going to fly me to Arlington. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now I'm looking at my watch. 
mm-hmm. because I've got I'm thinking mm-hmm. I got to get up there. We're nowhere near this yet. I've got right. and, and the airport's way south in Arlington too. Right. Well, yeah, but the but the, but once you're up there, that's yeah. ten minutes. Yeah. Okay. That it, it was the getting to Love Field that ah, concerned okay. me. All right. And then I sat there and, and again said to myself, except it wasn't me, okay, well, how many things are you going to do at once? Mm-hmm. I mean, are you going to fly there right now or are you going to get up there and be present for this congregation and read this story mm-hmm. the way it should be? Oh, well, I'm going to do that first. Okay, well, then do that. Mm-hmm. And all of the stress left. Mm-hmm. And it didn't matter what time it was, because the reason I was sitting there was to engage in this holy honor. So I got up, I did the story, thank you very much, out the back door, got, got to Love Field, left my car, got in Scott's airplane, we went up for the smoothest 12-minute ride I have ever had in my life. We landed in Arlington, a... Um, an assistant police chief was waiting for me in his personal vehicle. We started to get into tra- we drove, and he's going to drive me to the stadium now. And we got into a little bit of traffic, and uh, he then called for a motorcycle who came and turned the lights on and led us down the tunnel off Randall Mill. Nice. I had never been in that tunnel at that point. Right. And uh, we went down the tunnel, and he, he said, where do you want to go? And the door was open. The field was right there. I said, well, well, I'm going there. He said, all right, let's go there. That's great. He drove me up. And That's so great. I got out. So I was able to do both things. And, and it's a fun story. But um, Well, it's a fun story, but it's also a story that I think reminds us of uh, how, uh, you know, there, there's a passage where Jesus says in, in the Sermon on the Mount, don't be anxious for tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. You seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness, there you go. and all these things will be added to you as well. And, and what it occurs to me is that you, what you learned is you can only do one thing at a time. So if you feel called to read this text, to honor God in this way, then what will happen is the next thing will happen and the next thing, right. but you can't plan all of it and direct it. You do what is right in front of you. And I think the spiritual life really is about learning to be awake in the moment, about being present and to trust God with everything else. Right? And I think that might be why the reason, that, that might be the reason why the first message I got when I said to myself, what are you gonna do differently? Mm-hmm. Was you've neglected your spiritual life. Yeah. Because we had, my family had um, observed a lot of rituals, Passover seders, Hanukkah right. candles, right. Uh, Kiddush on Friday night. My mother right. always lit Shabbos candles on yeah. Friday. But we never went to regular services, uh-huh. and we never, ever, ever talked about God. Wow. N- didn't, mm-hmm. right. no, nothing against God. Right. Just nothing there, that it wasn't was more a of a presence. cultural Jewish identity. And, and so what this journey mm-hmm. has taught me is that there's not necessarily a division between spirituality and religious observance, but yes. you really ought to have the spirituality working for you right. if you want the religious observance to mean anything. That's Otherwise, right. it's just an exercise. Right, right. Well, I think this is an important thing for many Christians who are probably watching or listening to this, 
this conversation because as you and I have talked about before, and David Stern and I have talked about this, Nancy is casting his wife as well, you know, there, there, there is a, a, a perception maybe that uh, Christians have much more of this immediate sense of uh, relationship to God because we talk all the time about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as being crucial to our faith. Uh, and, and yet, uh, this is a, 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 a thing that Christians don't understand about Jews, and that is that, that there is also, in Jewish tradition, a deep personal sense of spirituality, a relationship to God, and uh, although it's not framed in the same way right. in terms of a relationship with Jesus as uh, Messiah, it is nonetheless not vacu vacuous uh, of, of experience. It is a, it's a deeply personal experience of faith. The whole Torah and the Talmud are both about what we should do individually and as a community in relationship to God. Yes. Not just separate entities. Right. It's all in relationship to God. And, and it's, uh, it tickles me that um, it's very clear for most Christians I've known that they are, they are living a life they want to live so that they can get into the kingdom. Right, right. Jews are frequently taught that this is it. Yes. When, when the curtain comes down, the play is over. Right, right. But that is not what Judaism teaches. Exactly. The most right. important tenets of even the weekly Shabbos service talk about the rewards will will be in the world to come. Now, yeah. how the world to come is viewed, what shape it takes, right. might be different than commonly understood Christian theology and Muslim theology. Yes. But the fact is, it's there. Yes. And we're really kind of trying to do much of the same thing. And, we, the more and we if you talk do it for the wrong another. reasons, right. then you're subverting the effort to... Well, and the more we talk with one another, the more we understand better our own tradition and the more we draw closer to one another in this pursuit. Well, Brad, look, we, we're just even getting started. I can't believe we've run out of time for this episode. So I'm just going to say this is a tease. We've got more conversation to come. Thank, Thank you for joining us Absolutely. for this episode. Pleasure Pick is mine. Okay. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Guest coordination and social media by Upward Strategy Group. Here's grateful appreciation to Evolve Technology for location production facilities. Evolve Technology for home audio, video, and lighting design. Enjoy more, think less with Evolve. See their great work at EvolveDallas.com. Thanks to Wendy Crispin Caterer for guest parking accommodations. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2018 by Faith Commons. New Friends, New Life restores and empowers formerly trafficked girls and sexually exploited women and children by providing access to education, job training, interim financial assistance, mental health, and spiritual support. Find out how you can help by visiting newfriendsnewlife.org.